Packers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, and my guest today is accomplished poker journalist and author Barry Carter. Barry has written for both online and print magazines, as well as having had a hand in writing and publishing the most successful poker book ever written, The Mental Game of Poker which coincidentally is also the most often suggested reading material by my Chasing Poker Greatness guests. In addition to The Mental Game of Poker, Barry has also co-authored The Mental Game of Poker 2 with Jared Tindler and Poker Satellite Strategy with Dara O'Kearney. On the media side, Barry has written and contributed to WPT Magazine, Poker News Magazine, Inside Poker Business, Poker Pro Europe, Card Player Magazine, and more. He's a former chief editor of Poker News UK, where he spent just over five years in charge of all content and live reporting. And today, Barry is PokerStrategy.com's chief editor, who is responsible for managing just about all of the content that appears on the site. During our conversation, he walks us through some of the history of poker and poker media and expands on how the relationship between the two has changed over the years. He speaks about the evolution of poker and how the game has changed his life. You'll learn what it was like to experience Black Friday from the inside and get some opinions and insights into some of the most high-profile cheating scandals that have rocked the poker world both before and after that fateful day. Very few people have the kind of access that Barry has to the inside world of the poker industry, and today's show is a rare opportunity to peek behind the curtains and get an insider's view of a world us regular old poker players rarely get to see. And so, without any further ado, this is award-winning poker journalist and best-selling author Barry Carter on Chasing Poker Greatness. Barry, how are you doing, my man? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It's good to be here for me as well. It's very nice talking to you. And I'd like to start out by just asking you, how did you get into the poker world? What's that story look like? Um, it's a very long time ago now. Um, oh God, 26. So it was 14 years ago. Uh, I just worked a boring office job, and a friend of mine told me about this game called poker. He'd just seen rounders. Um, he deposited on party poker. You know the story by now. There's a lot of people that start off this way. And he, um, I think he basically like read one article about how playing tight aggressive is quite a good idea. Showed me him playing on party poker and, and he sort of did really, really well. Uh, you know, in hindsight now, I realize he probably ran really well at the time. And I was like, wow, that looks really easy. So, <laughs> you know, during, during lunch breaks and stuff, he and I would talk poker for a while and then... He got bored of it, but I, you know, it was unleashed a sort of beast within me. And uh, I started doing okay at it. Uh, not great, but as, as you'll know, like sort of 14 years ago, the games were incredibly soft by then. And then so just betting usually would, you know, put you ahead of the pack. And then 
for some reason, I got compelled to write, to start a blog about poker and just write random things about poker. And I got a message from somebody from World Poker Tour magazine, which was a, it was a, it was a license. It was a UK magazine that used the World Poker Tour brand. I saw something that I wrote and asked me if I wanted £250 to uh, to let them publish it in a print magazine. And I was like, at that stage, £250 was, you know, just an obscene amount of money to me in a close to minimum wage job. And uh, What was your job, I, by the way? What was this one I, I, job? I, was, I, I worked in a, for a, a, a insurance company called Aviva here in the UK. It was I was kind of like assistant manager in a call center. Wasn't okay. the most exciting. You're right. <laughs> that, is, that is a boring job. <laughs> yeah, and it was um, yeah. So 250 pounds, and I didn't even know poker magazines were a thing. By the way, as a, as a rate, that is that's really high for today's rate. You know, the, the print magazine market is, is dead now, unfortunately. But um, do you remember the article that they wanted? Uh, yes, yes, it was. Um, I think it was an article about people who are annoying in the chat box and calling you names because you've just sucked out on them or something like that. <laughs> what, was the crux, what was the crux of this article? Just ignore them, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, I, I can see why you demanded the big bucks for the article. Yeah, just, yeah. just ignore well, them. Well, the thing was, like I, like I said, I didn't even really know poker magazines <laughs> exist. So I, I, I was shocked. But I, uh, I was so into poker and I was so shocked that someone would pay me for something that I just wrote that I, I said to them afterwards, you know, do you want me, how about this as an article? How about this as an article? And, you know, I just kept harassing the guy and, you know, eventually he was just commissioning like everything. I was probably writing five or six articles a month for the magazine and I was making more in my, uh, you know, in this little hobby than I was doing in my, my real job. So that's how it all started, really. You know, at the time, I was just freelancing for a lot of magazines because there were a lot of magazines at the time. Uh, I went part-time at work, and then I eventually quit the job to to actually write about poker. And so it's very similar parallel to what a lot of uh, poker pros go through, but uh, mine was with writing about poker. What do you think happened to the big publications, the magazines? Why did print poker die? Well... Print poker certainly, sorry, print in general has died for numerous reasons that we can all guess now, you know, the, the, the rise of digital news and stuff. You know, why would you go to a shop and buy a magazine when you can just get a smartphone out or a computer or an iPad? Sure. Um, a lot poker, of them, I was just going to say, a lot of them, you know, don't even exist in digital form anymore. Like they just no, don't no. don't exist, well, period. Yeah, because they... Uh, I, what really hurt, I'd say what sped up the death of print poker specifically was Black Friday. At the time, when Black Friday happened, um, I think poker stars were responsible for, the, for about 60% of the advertising in the print magazines. And Full Tilt was responsible for, you know, probably you know, the next 20 or 30%. I suspect Ultimate Bet probably had a part in that as well. So like a lot of cottage industries in, in poker at the time, Black Friday probably sped up their uh, their inevitable demise. And uh, yeah, we probably had two or three magazines essentially uh, die that day slowly because uh, because suddenly um, they couldn't advertise to people in the US. So the circulations would change and and stuff like that. And 
a few hung around for a while and they were kind of based entirely on being given away for free in casinos and, uh, and you know, on a skeleton staff. But yeah, that, that, that's what sped up the death of print poker magazines. Not something that I've thought about because I'm a selfish human who thinks about Black mm. Friday in terms of me, but losing all the advertisers and all the advertising dollars probably pretty brutal gut punch for yeah i mean in, in europe as well the, the exact same thing happened we had a uh, obscene amount of poker tv shows in europe you know these um poker after dark style studios tv shows sick person sitting goes and stuff like that and uh, you know european ones with people like the devil fish and tony g and stuff like that and they also very, very quickly um, came to an end because of Black Friday, because, you know, these were TV shows sponsored by Full Tilt and Poker Stars, and uh, particularly Full Tilt at the time. So, yeah, lots of, um, lots of small industries that benefited from the poker boom uh, were quickly put to bed because of Black Friday. Do you think if poker comes back, that these magazines, that the TV shows, poker comes back in the U.S. Um, in a legal form, across the nation that there will be a resurgence not of the print because i suspect print is is pretty much done and dusted everywhere but like tv shows um that sort of thing possibly but then but i but i kind of think that you know broadcasting has changed too so much it's twitch now the the uh you know I, i i the live streams live streams now are so good you know that the quality of say a triton live stream or a EPT live stream now are so good and they, they seem to exist almost entirely on uh, online uh, rather than on TV. I, I just think the market and, and I can I think any investment that will go that will go toward broadcasting poker in the US, I think it's going to be kind of more Twitch based. I think it's going to look more like esports now than it will, would do a uh, an old school TV show like Poker After Dark. Yeah, that's. You're, you're very right. The landscape has changed in the last, what is it, eight years now? Eight years? And I heard that yeah. Black Friday, so we all have our Black Friday stories, right? Tell me tell me about your Black Friday story. Yeah, I, I genuinely think I was in the most interesting place in the world uh, when Black Friday happened. And there's a, there's a personal element to why it was particularly pertinent for me. But I was... Um, I was at Dustal Dawn in Nottingham, the, the, the excellent card club in Nottingham, working on a party poker TV show, which was a 24-hour cash game, 36-hour cash game. It was the, called The Big Game. And in the game were poker stars and Full Tilt-sponsored pros. Now, you may remember that party poker had pulled out of the U.S. market. Poker stars and Full Tilt were very much in the U.S. market, and they were the two sites that got hit by the, the FBI warnings. So I was in a live poker room, which was uh, working on a poker TV show with the sponsor of um, the uh, show being the one that pulled out the U.S. market, uh, some for prematurely, and the, and the two sites most affected by it. And they, they, uh, so it was this bizarre, this like odd hush that grew around the card room as everyone started realizing what had happened. And everyone was talking about each other and we were like, what was everyone talking about? And people started showing each other's pictures of the FBI warnings and so on. And people were asking, is this real? Is this going on? And 
the poker stars guys looked really worried and the full tilt guys looked devastated and what were party poker guys were virtually celebrating that, by the way not the existing i don't think anyone who's on the current party poker staff um was there was there i think it was a completely different staff now but that you know they were virtually popping champagne corks because they had you know that they, they weren't affected by black friday so they were suddenly seeing their two biggest competitors in some real trouble. They were, you know, they were incredibly happy at the time. And um, at one point I had to um, go and grab Dusty Schmidt, who's, I don't, I don't know if you know him, this uh, Leather legendary ass, yeah. online grinder called Leatherass. And he was, I had to, uh, he had to go and do commentary in, in, on the, for the show. And I, uh, I had to run up, and he was sponsored by PokerStars, and I had to run up to him and say, you need him in the commentary booth now, and by the way, PokerStars has just been seized by the FBI. <laughs> and he kind of went, oh, right, okay. <laughs> it was a very, very surreal day, and particularly particularly surreal for, for me personally, because the lesser-known fact about Black Friday was that was the day that uh, Jared Tendler and I released a book called The Mental Game of Poker literally on that day so we um we had sold you know we we released it that morning and we had sold something like a hundred copies that morning like because you know it was a big announcement on the mailing list and and we were just so excited we were like oh if it keeps up anything close to this we'll be millionaires you know only the u.s pulling out of the global poker market could stop it now (laughs) and well we didn't quite think that but that's essentially what happened so i kind of think that um release you know it it took us about two years to to do that book and um, i think releasing it on the worst day in the history of uh, online poker is um yeah that was something else so it it was a hell of a day I, i i got to see the you know the potential ramifications of Black Friday from just about every perspective imaginable. What what were you thinking? What were the thoughts going through your head? What, looking at all these sponsored pros and just being in the middle of like all of these people who are greatly affected by the news. Yeah, I can't, I, to be honest with you, I I I I think I thought it was over. Um, I've been working in poker for a, maybe uh, for four years, always kind of thought that this can't possibly last this is too fun to be work um <laughs> and i think i i think i thought it was over and i uh but i was also kind of i kind of kicked into survival mode and i just started thinking i just started brainstorming like you know who who could employ me now like uh still in poker so all right let's think about let's think about more about the european market and so on but no i was I was very, very paranoid, but to be honest with you, I actually like I respond best to negative reinforcement. So I was just brainstorming all the different ways in which I could still have a job in the poker industry, um, and I, yeah, I managed to survive. That's probably the, the most heartwarming thing of it all, really. So yeah, the thing is, you know, you and Jared put out a very high quality book that stands the test of time. So even though it happened on such a bad day. Actually, the day after Black Friday may have been worse. Um, mm. Or, you know, just yes, the week yes. or the months where, like, you know, it's like trying to release something in the middle of Mike Postle news. Like, it's just yeah, completely yeah, drowned exactly. out by everything else. But yeah, like, it, it resonates with poker players as a whole. And, and I'd like to know the history of that book. How'd you hook up with Jared in the first place? Yeah, um, I had seen Jared. Uh, I was a member of. Uh, stocks poker 
Uh, yep. I was subscribe subscriber to that site, and, and that's where Jared made his his debut. Um, just talking about tilt, and I, I had a really severe tilt problem when when I saw that, and I because I worked for some magazines, I thought right, I can uh, I can trick this guy into giving me some free coaching. In the <laughs> what do you mean by real a real problem with tilt? What's a tilt story? Oh no, I would just. Um, uh, whenever a bad beat would happen, I, I would just I would just play absolutely atrociously afterwards. So I would uh, had this kind of whiny persecution complex, and I would play too tight. You know, too tight. I'd be expecting a too bad. Tight. Yes, I would. I would be expecting another bad beat to come along, and um, and this, this is one of the things that Jared really sort of fixed for me. Actually, it was. Uh, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but basically, he he kind of taught me. He kind of taught me to see that I was, I I was taking more risk by not playing aggressively in in these spots and, and so on. But yeah, I played too tight, um, and then inevitably, but more bad beats would happen because I was never giving myself a chance to take a pop down, um, you know, non show, you know, non showdown. I was always having to. I was always calling the pops down and so on. So yeah, I was. I, I played pretty bad, so I thought. I, if I uh, if I do an article about this guy, if I interview him, maybe he'll give me some free advice. Uh, <laughs> we, no, um, no, ult- no ulterior motives there. Oh, complete ulterior motive. And, uh, <laughs> the, and he was fine with it. You know, he was like um, he was from the golf world, so he didn't have many contacts in poker. Only the stocks poker guys at that point. So we kind of came up with this agreement where if I could get him in more publications if i could get him interviewed by more people if i could write more articles about him he would give me free coaching and so for about a year or so that's that's kind of what we did you know i i I, you know loan him out to someone from a you know a podcast or a magazine or something like that and he'd give me more coaching and stuff and i think technically if i want it i've got free coaching for life with him now and um <laughs> he's yeah, your best the, friend though like yeah well uh, <laughs> some would call that friendship but you know i like to call it coaching <laughs> and and yeah so about a year into uh us being good friends he you know he mentioned that he wanted to write a book and um but he because he wasn't he doesn't he still doesn't really play poker you know he he knows enough about the game to to have detailed conversations but he doesn't actually play poker so he needed someone there as a um translator if you will but you know you know for the audience and to make sure he was getting his poker examples right and then so uh, and then i became kind essentially like the marketer for the book as well and we just we just got a um we just have a very good partnership where he's kind of the genius and i'm kind of the uh, filling in the gaps kind of guy <laughs> And this is, you know, these are greatness bombs for the folks listening, just finding someone and creating value for them. You know, that's effectively you're creating value for Jared, right? Like you're getting him opportunities. You're, like you said, filling in the gaps. And then this leads to free coaching. It leads to a friendship. And poker, in my opinion, is all about relationships. And if there there are folks that you want to connect with and you don't know how, easiest way is do some you know make their life easier in some way mm. and that's a straight ticket right oh yeah no I'm a, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in that i mean people you know people would often contact me to ask me you know how do i work for 
websites? How do I work for magazines at the time and so on and stuff? And I, I always would say, you know, just start doing something now on your own, you know, write a blog, make your own YouTube channel, something like that. I just help somebody out with something like that rather than sitting around waiting for someone to give you an opportunity for no reason. So. Yeah, like not many people just walk up to other folks and say, hey, could you interview me? You look like you would be a good interviewer. Um, yeah. You got you, you got to be not shy and make it happen yourself. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you, Mr. Tilt Monkey, end up being the co-author of The Mental Game of Poker. Um, mm. That's <laughs> how did how did the co-authorship come about um, with you and Jared? Well, the initial plan was it was just going to be Jared's name on the front cover. And I was going to edit the book once he'd done it. But one of the things where, one of the, I think one of the areas where Jared and I work together really well is I'm very, very good at producing things quickly. And Jared is an absolute perfectionist. So we, we have this dynamic where I kind of, get everything started and get everything to the point where so much has been done that we can't back out. And he then reins me in and slows me down and makes sure that I haven't just, you know, produced three, 200 pages of just drivel and stuff. So the back and forth process, you know, I, it stopped me being the, the editor uh, quite early on. And we just, we were bouncing ideas off each other. And I, I, I had so much involvement in the book that he, he eventually said, right, your, your name's going on the cover as, as well. So I, I think I specified, okay, but put with Barry Carter, not and Barry Carter, because I don't want people to think that they're following my mental game advice. I really am there as a stand-in for the audience. And, yeah, it helped. You know, it, it, it actually helped with the marketing uh, because if I'd have been a more silent partner, for example, you and I wouldn't be talking about this right now. So uh, when I when I co-wrote a book recently with Daro Kani, uh, the same deal applied. Really, you know, it's 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 beneficial uh, to have my name on there because then I could be much more aggressive with the, the marketing. Otherwise, I'd look like some weird fanboy. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I edited I edited yeah. this book. You can see me. I'm in the acknowledgments at the end of the, at the yeah. end right there. Um, yeah, that, that that for marketing purposes, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And for creative partnership, finding two people who offset each other's weaknesses, right? Like you move super fast, he moves slower. Together, um, you can start a project and then it turn out well. <laughs> Versus, you know, uh, never finishing a project and also starting a bunch of crappier projects, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when did you feel like mental game of poker was like a true success? Like, was there a moment? Well, it's, it's funny because we had the cloud of Black Friday um, over our heads. Um, you know, Jared, this is before self-publishing was a big thing. So Jared spent a lot of his own money. Because now you can do print on demand with books. You know, literally, you don't have to buy any stock whatsoever. But Jared bought, I think, 5,000 copies of that book in print. You know, he was prior to knowing that Black Friday was going to happen. So, Did he print my, them locally? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, you know, you had to, you, if you print out 5,000, then the cost per book was very small. The, so, in terms of success, like, our, my, because I was so, 
I felt so bad for Jared spending all that money the day before, like just before Black Friday. My only goal to begin with was to get the book break even so that he'd not wasted all that money. And then I think, I think between us, we kind of, once that happened and it happened, it happened, it happened the first year, it happened about six months in, I think. I think then we just said, right, if we, if we can, if we can sell 10,000 copies, then this is a big success. Cause that, that was roughly what a good poker book would sell. Uh, round about that time so we put those benchmarks in I think but then we just kind of forgot about it and every now and then Jared and I will check in on some unusual milestone that's happened and we're like wow this is this is really a thing and it's I I think I'm I'm pretty confident it's the best-selling book after Black Friday I'm I'm very confident it's the the most successful self-published poker book of all time. Uh, I know factually it's the most successful poker audio book of all time. Um, what, how and, many copies have you sold now? I'm not sure if I can tell you, but I can tell you. Uh, I will tell you. We've sold over a hundred thousand copies. Wow! Um, uh, lifetime. Uh, both books, the Mental Game of Poker Two, which hasn't sold. It hasn't sold as much because inevitably, when you when you make a sequel to something. You know, no one's going to buy that first, and we, we probably wouldn't have probably wouldn't have made it. Mental game of poker two, but yeah, in, in total, we've sold well over a hundred thousand books because we were celebrating, and we were, Jared and I were talking about shall we announce it or does it look a bit douchey to kind of uh, <laughs> brag about the specific amounts? But since you asked, I then you, you have an answer. So yeah, well over a hundred thousand copies at this stage. I, I only ask because even for social proof and for people who suggest books like. Like I just tweeted a little while ago, 72 of my 20 guests, when I, I've asked them about mm-hmm. a book to gift to other poker players, they all mention Mental Game of Poker. Like it's mm-hmm. one of the first books that come out of their mouths. And, you know, word of mouth advertising is obviously extremely, extremely powerful. Um, yeah. And so on forums like this, like, you know, I would imagine that the Mental Game of Poker is just going to keep selling and selling and selling and selling. Yeah, well, we're very fortunate. It's it's a very it's it doesn't it's a book that doesn't date. Um, you know, if you if you buy a book about you know hand reading and one two cash games, you know that book would be very different today than it would ten years ago and so on. But you know, it's it's, it's it doesn't date. It's it's it can be broadly applied. You don't have to. You can be a ca- a live cash game player or an online tournament player. Um, you know, you potentially get the uh, the same benefit from it, and it's. Uh, I think we, I think people just are. We live in a time when people are very, very aware of mental health, and you know, Jared is a a, a licensed counselor. That's that's where this book comes from. This isn't just you know mind tricks this is actually from the mind of a this is from the mouth of a professional counselor so it's 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 all a perfect storm really so it's it's a nice broad broad book that i think doesn't date and yeah we um, i mean i obviously jumped at the chance to work with him on it uh when he asked me but yeah and, and like with elliot rowe uh multiple guests that i've had on the show we've we've spoken about the emotional side of poker and how mm. emotions affect actions and i think for a very long time that aspect of the game was pretty much ignored for straight mm. strategic advice. And 
there was just a massive, massive demand because mm-hmm. it's pretty clear for anybody that's played poker for any amount of time, emotions play a part in decision making. It's a very emotional game. If you're not, you know, if you have just one emotional leak, then it can sink your ship. It can crush your dreams as a player. So it's just of the utmost importance to figure out how to deal with these emotions while you're playing cards. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an, um, I think in the, in the same vein, like I, I think people are really, really paying attention to their uh, health and fitness in general as well in poker now, you know, like I remember a time when you would see a world series event, uh, win a photo and usually it'd be some old dude that's sort of 40 pounds overweight, you know, most people you see in these winning pictures now are in great shape. You know, you know, they do paleo, they do CrossFit. They're very, very healthy looking. So um, just like, say, the mental side of things at some point became the norm in golf or other sports, I think, I think almost every poker player is acutely aware that their physical health and their mental health play a big role in, in, in their performance at the tables now. And I love that sort of thing because increasing your your physical health, for instance, is something you do off the tables and Mm. has a massive impact on your play and your life in general. Like it's just such a value add in general to be Mm. a healthier person, to eat healthy. You know, your mind goes where the body takes it. And, you know, poker tournaments are grueling. They're very Mm. mentally strenuous activities so you just absolutely have to have good health to be able to compete at a high level routinely it's going to be very tough on you to go to the world series play 30 or 40 events day after day after day and get through that if you're in bad physical health yeah yeah i mean like i I have arguments like i have a friend who's a mechanic and he is, insists with me that you cannot be mentally tired and the, the reason he says that is because he has a physical job and he doesn't understand how I can be typing one day about poker and then be tired at the end of it but <laughs> I, I challenge anyone who believes that who play in a 16 hour poker session in a, in a live card room and play the best because it is, a, it is a type of exhausted I have just not felt otherwise it is grueling and and this is another thing that i've spoken with with a few guests is the mind is three percent of your body weight and it consumes 25 percent of your energy uh there's a lot of stories there's a lot of stories of chess players who will be in a tournament and lose Mm -hmm. 25 or 30 pounds in a tournament because they're exerting so much energy just sitting there I, i heard this recently uh, this was on the news recently, or I think maybe Jennifer Hardy mentioned it or something. Keep talking about that. That's fascinating. I, I, yeah, I heard this. I actually interviewed her yesterday. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, basically, basically, you know, our, our brains are energy resource hogs. And, and so when you play six tables online for four hours and then Mm. your brain feels like mush and you feel like you just can't go anymore and you're physically exhausted. There's actual data now that says, yeah, of course, this is how you feel because you've just burned so much energy that Mm. you're just tired and like riding 
any form of creation typically makes me extremely tired after spending two or three hours on that specific task. Like I, I used to beat myself up for not being Nanonoko and being able to 12 table eight hours a day, every single day, I'd be like, why are you weak, Brad? Like, why can you only like, why is like a, a an awesome day for you? Six hours of six tabling. Mm-hmm. And I just had no knowledge that it's perfectly reasonable and perfectly okay to feel tired after sitting down and staring at a computer for six hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I used to, like that was after the tilt stuff. What, that was probably my second biggest issue that I went to Jared with. One of the, the second problem that I tended to have was if I would go to a live poker tournament and make the second day, I would be exhausted the first day, but not be able to get to sleep because my brain is just like mush, like you meant, like you mentioned. You know, so I would be in terrible shape by the time the second day comes around. I'd be physically and mentally exhausted. Uh, and Jared, Jared gave me some advice that we put in the books, which I heartily recommend to anybody because it changed everything for me, which is like, don't try and go to bed straight after you've played poker. His, his advice was, first of all, to, to journal out every bizarre thought that is in your head, like just write it all down. Practice, I suspect, is very much like mindfulness in that respect. You just literally just experiencing it and getting it away. And then secondly, he said, just just do something else for 30 minutes before you go to bed. So my, my routine, if I ever do sort of go go deep in a tournament or make a, make a day two, is I will go home and, uh, and watch like an episode of Family Guy or something like that, which tends to be on late in the UK when, when, when you get back. Because if you go to bed while all the poker force is still in your head, they're just going to be knocking at the door constantly. So... Yeah, that always helped, and I, you know, I never sleep perfectly in those situations, but I sleep a damn, damn sight better than I than I would have done previously. That is super, super helpful. I'm going to bring my journal to the next live tournament that I play in because mm. I go to bed at 10 p.m. every night because I like being a regular human being, um, mm. <laughs> and I, I wake up at about 6 a.m. But playing a live tournament that finishes after midnight is incapacitating. In, incompatible with my lifestyle, um, mm. which just makes me a zombie the next day. I, I think yeah. that there, there's a big adrenaline dump too, especially if you make a day two of a tournament mm. where you know sleep is just almost impossible. You can't go from being like fully wired and amped up and in the zone to just crashing, like like you said, thirty minutes later. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and also, like uh, like when you've made a day two, I find it harder to. Uh, sleep than if I've gone to bed at the same time after a day where I've just busted out because you, you're kind of planning for the next day. You're thinking, oh, if that guy raises again, I know what I'm going to do. Or you know, it's like, but it's like big blinds, so I need to start pushing this. You, you know, you start planning, so that's that's not conducive to sleep. Whereas right. if you're just droning your sorrows a little bit because you just misplayed Ace King and you're at the tournament, it's a little bit easier to get to sleep up. And so here's your next project: the Mental Game Journal. Just journals for every poker player right at the end of their days. We, we, yes, that, that is a good idea. We, we, did, we did talk about possibly making a workbook kind of, kind of book based, based on the feedback we've got. I know if you, if you Google Jared's name and then 888 Poker, he, uh, he wrote a blog series for them where one of the things that he did is outlined what he thinks he missed from the, the book based on, on people's feedback. So we did talk about something like that. 
And I do like the idea. Maybe because, you know, I have started to wonder, like, maybe could we bring out a 10th anniversary edition or something like that? Uh, that's the sort of thing that would, would work quite well in that. But uh, by the same token, I just don't want to bring the book out in case it messes up the Amazon algorithm that's doing so well for us. <laughs> I, I think that the algorithm does well for you because it's a high quality and highly valuable yeah, book. Like, like you're, you're not going to lower the value of the book. Um, no. What, so what would you say is the most unexpected thing that's happened to you from being involved in the poker world? Um, I don't know about unexpected. I mean, certainly the most, um, uh, I'd say, enriching, enjoyable, surprising aspect of working in poker. If you think of what a, you know, what a game that's sort of in just solitude most of the time you, but what you think would bring is how uh, much it has broadened my life. You know, I've traveled the world because of poker. I have got friends from all over the world because of poker. Uh, I've co-written three books with people from two different countries because of poker. Um, I got engaged in Slovenia because of poker. I got Wait. married in New York because I, of poker. Why, why did you get engaged in Sl- Slovenia because of poker? Oh, I, you- I won my wife in a poker game there. Um, oh, good, good yeah. job. Not really. <laughs> no, no, no. I, uh, I, um, uh, a friend of mine who organized poker events um, was uh, in the middle of arranging an event in Slovenia, and he wanted some poker journalists to, uh, to write about Slovenia uh, because it's, uh, like he called it, it was uh, Monte Carlo without the price tag. It's really, it's really accurate. A, we, we went to a place called Portorov, Port of Roses, in Slovenia, it's beautiful, and it's, it's beautiful, it's cheap, everyone's really, really nice, it's, it's awesome. So he, he, he brought some poker journalists out uh, just, to, just to experience the place because they were going to have a WPT Deep Stacks event there. And it was such such an amazing experience. My wife and I loved it so much that I, I ended up proposing to her because we were having such a great time. So, because, uh, you know, it was pretty and people, we, we would have remembered it and so on. Uh, that was quite a spur of the moment. And then I think, yeah, then the, the following summer, um, we got married in New York and Jared was my best man. And why New York? You said that was through poker too. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well uh, it's because Jared lived in New York. So, uh, <laughs> um, why can't Jared like, travel? Why did you have to go to Jared to get married? Because we wanted to go to New York. We were like, wow, Jared lives in New York. This is a great place to go. Um, so, Jared's yeah, like, no. I'm not being your best man if it's anywhere else but next door to me. So <laughs> no, no, we, we, no we, when, when, when you're a Brit, you know New York is the thing that you see on the TV all the time. It's you know the, like we were walking around and we were just acting like we knew where we were because we'd just seen seen these buildings so many times. It's like oh yeah, that's the place with the piano from Big and stuff like that. So no, we 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 were desperate to go. So it was a great excuse for us to tick about eight boxes at once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's been the nicest thing about poker. You know, you assume it's just a, a dude behind a monitor playing on his own all the time. But, you know, the opportunities to travel and, the, and the, the people that I've met who I never would have met otherwise is, is definitely been the, the, the nicest thing about poker. I agree. So many great friendships, so many great relationships, mm-hmm. so many amazing people. I have poker to thank for everything that is in my life at the moment, even though sometimes I, I feel like I can come off as somewhat jaded 
maybe mm-hmm. um, and being involved with poker so long, the reality is I'm grateful for everything poker has given to me. I, I have no idea what I would do if I hadn't found the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you, when you think about your career in poker and you think about joy, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Oh, no, I don't think about joy in poker very often. Um, when did you feel joy? Like you feeling just pure joy, pure happiness? I guess I'll, I'll tell you one thing which is nice. And I've been fortunate enough to write free books that don't just help people with poker, but they've actually gotten something additional out of it than the poker. I've written, written the two mental game books with, with Jared, and I've just written a book about on satellites this year with Dara Carney. And, you know, Dara and I have had people say, I am now playing in this massive event because I won a satellite because of your book. We had a guy that when the book first came out, he won a party poker tournament for like $40,000 from a $5 satellite. Some people made some like final tables of big live events. And then with Mental Game of Poker, I mean, there's literally been people who have said that the, the broader psychological sort of benefits of the book have stopped them from sort of going over the edge, like quite literally. So yeah, every now and then, you get someone will contact you and say the work did something more than just, you know, helped me win more with pocket jacks or something like that. And that always gives me a little pause for thought. That always makes me kind of uh, think, wow, I did that. So, or what? Well, <laughs> I did that. But wow, I contributed to something that actually meant something to somebody. Of course. Yeah. That's. And then the thing, and then after that, the, the, the other joy comes from when when I get money. <laughs> That's always quite much. So, <laughs> but capitalist the, the the emotional reasons helping helping folks. You you wouldn't have been successful. You you wouldn't have had a sustainable career had you not helped folks along the way and getting that feedback, the good things, saving somebody's life. I mean, how amazing is that? How many people can get feedback that they saved somebody's life? Mm. which is um, again that's, that's all jared by the way like it's i just helped get him his, get his words onto paper he is the uh, the counselor and, and in that respect he is like you know I, I suspect jared has saved a lot of lives to be perfectly honest the the amount of people that he's helped um but as far as marketing distribution you know you starting the project I, there's obviously value there too right like there are people that maybe wouldn't have gotten access to the book if not for you so e- even though He's the counselor. Um, right. dis- distribution matters uh, in life, yeah. I've learned. Distribution's a big deal. The, the anti-question to this, when you think about pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Um, I'll tell you the most painful period I went through in poker, which was, um, it was, uh, you know, to bring it around, back around to the magazine stuff. The, the, the thing that made me completely quit my job, my, my old desk job, in poker was I was approached by someone who had a, a magazine in Europe and basically offered me so much freelance work at such a high rate that, you know, I was like, right, I can finally do this full time. And then I, so I did quit my job. And then in, over the next three or four months, um, just was not getting paid by them. And eventually I discovered that they 
were actually a scam magazine. <laughs> they weren't really a magazine at all. Um, what they were doing was they would print out, say, 30 copies of a magazine and give it to advertisers and say, yeah, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of these magazines all over the world. And then, you know, they just paid like four guys, I was one of them, to just write all the articles. But then they stopped paying them once all the, you know, once the, the scam was sort of found out. That was really, really hard. That, that, I, I, that one moment, uh, because I quit my job for that magazine, and then I, I really uh, struggled in the early going to find enough freelance work to, to keep going. And uh, when I kind of realized I wasn't going to get paid the money that I uh, was owed and that I quit my job prematurely because of some, uh, some dodgy guy that should never have done that, I always think about that when I hear of somebody else getting scammed in poker, you know, whether it's like a staking scandal or someone, you know, like the puzzle thing at the moment. That is always the first thing I come back to is like, I know how just humiliating it it felt. It was a very, very, very sort of anger inducing moment. And I I always think about it when uh, inevitably lots of these stories do happen in poker in, in you know, in a more poker playing sense, but yeah, always think about that. So there you go. That's always think about that. Yeah, that's that's it's very brutal, very very brutal. Not just from uh, the mo- called, the magazine was called GX Magazine, gambling exclusive. Just in case if if they ever 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 resurface GX Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could just say their name too. Why not? Right? Like the can't, oh, can't do you remember their name? Oh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Um, because I would imagine that they're not going to come out with another iteration of GX. It'll be the guy no, behind I think it. It's called Stephen Price, and his brother. He also had a brother there, also Price. I apologize if your name is Stephen Price, and that wasn't his name. Uh, yeah, I think it was Stephen Price. He was called. But so yeah, I've never heard of so him again. Anybody in the poker world gets contacted by a Stephen Price. Do do some background. Um, do some due diligence on this yeah. that shady guy. But yeah, like the the emotional aspects, and, and that's what I felt so bad about with Apostle scandal, is not just the money lost, but the emotional impact on the players he played against for over a year, just questioning mm. everything that they did. Um, I've been cheated myself out of large sums of money, and mm. the money sucks. The emotional impact of it, it is worse, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, if, if you think about, you know, some of the players in those games might have taken their game in a bad direction because of the feedback they were getting. But, you know, they they might start saying, wow, like he he always knows when I value bet this amount. I must, I've got to change my value bet. Like, you know, something like that. There's all these unusual little ways in which something like that can mess with you that goes beyond the uh, the usual. But yeah, I mean, just... All the scams, there, there's like this formula formula for scams, I think. And it's like if you're in a game that seems too good to be true, if things are happening that just seem like absurd, like Postle calling 3K with 4-5 offsuit, right? Like it's like, a, it's like a whale in the game that just feels too good to be true. Like your hourly rate should be just incredibly massive and yet you still get no results. You, you can't win. You can't do anything right. This is probably a sign that there's investigation is necessary to sort of mm. get, a, get a better handle on what exactly is going on. 
Yeah, I mean, the four-five hand was literally the hand where I just went right. That's that's, that's decided it for me. That was that was insane. But um, yeah, I mean, I, several people have pointed this out since since the whole story came out. But like, can you imagine what a intelligent person with access to whole kind of information would be doing? You know, they, you know, the. St- they could probably print money for the rest of their life. You know, they, they, if they know, for example, that they should go broke with pocket kings in that instance, it's like, okay, well, I'll go broke with this thing for the, for the, you know, for the prospect of being able to keep the run going on for forever. So this is, this is a scary, I played on ultimate bet, right. Um, Mm -hmm. And ultimate bet had their scandal. And I always had the the thought in my head, the poker community uncovered that one as well. Ultimate bet didn't do it, Mm -hmm. but I always had the thought in my head, like, what if somebody, like you said, what if somebody intelligent was behind it? And what if somebody intelligent is still out there? Mm. Like, this is the thought that like somebody that's just like, okay, I'm just going to make three or 400 an hour. I'm not going to play the biggest stakes available. I'm going to do things that are, you know, I'm not, I'm going to do things that are less obvious. I'm going to lose hands, but I'm, I'm going to make it look real. There is this, this other side of me that feels like the people that are that gravitate towards god moding that gravitate towards cheating in that way mm. are likely not going to be really great players to begin with mm. because else why would they take this massive risk yeah so, yeah it's just very, yeah i mean the, the funny thing is as well is you kind of have to be a good player to get away with god moding because you know, otherwise, like I think one of the reasons why the ultimate bet thing got found out so decisively by the poker community was, you know, the, the, the Pop Ripper was calling like with six high when the guy had five high on the river and things like that. So you, yeah, you kind of have to know, you, you kind of have to be quite good at poker to be able to use it properly. Otherwise, um, you will get found out. But like. I've, I've thought about this a lot since the puzzle thing, and I'm actually worried that what this might, one of the unspoken negative impacts of this might be is we might not trust each other in general at the tables anymore. I, I'm, I'm kind of scared that people are going to start accusing each other of cheating whenever somebody has a really, really good session or if you know, if I play really badly and you completely destroy me, like you know, I, I, I might think, well, maybe if I uh, accuse him of cheating, maybe I'll <laughs> I'll get the money back. So I'm kind of nervous that it's going to make a paranoid environment in the poker uh, community. If we, but I don't know what the alternative is. I hope not. I really hope that's not a side effect of this whole thing. And I've I've struggled with the question: Is it good for poker? Is it bad for poker overall? I don't really mm. know know the answer. But yeah, I think like playing online, you know, there's no shortage of folks who have claimed over the years that online poker is rigged, that, you know, people are cheating, that all, all of these things, even since, you know, the party poker days or like the paradise poker days, just as long as online poker has been a thing, there are, there are mm-hmm. going to be folks out there that are like, look at this, this is impossible. Couldn't have happened. It's a billion to one. It's rigged, blah, 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 blah. Typically, my response has always been, well, I guess lucky for me that all the platforms I've played on over the years have been rigged in my direction. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and also, like from a business model standpoint, right, having things rigged 
is quite a risk if you're poker stars because if anybody yeah. finds out, you're pretty much done. You've pretty much lost a billion dollars. So why wouldn't you just do it? Yeah, I mean, I always like to point out that if uh, if someone like Poker Stars was going to rig the game of poker, then they they'd rig it so that everyone had third pair, so the pots were small, so just very slowly rake everything away. Right, you know, the aces against kings every single hand would be horrific for a poker room if they wanted to sort of put the rake in their favour. So that usually shuts people up on that one. But why do you think the possible thing from like a, a psychological or emotional? standpoint why do you think it blew up the way that it did i think um to be perfectly honest uh i have a feeling that people have quite enjoyed it following it i think if you if you look at a show like breaking bad um we all none of us would want to do what walter white did but there was he's an enjoyable anti-hero because we're kind of like, is he going to get away with it? And, and I think we, we kind of live in, an, in the age of an anti-hero. And in a strange way, uh, I think people get a little thrill from watching this guy so brazenly cheat in front of our eyes. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like that. And I'm not saying that we think he's great. I'm just saying that I think there's something so just dastardly about what he did in 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 plain view that, that it's just compelling just, yeah it's interesting you can't take your eyes off it just on live stream cheating on live stream oh, with cameras i mean that is that's brazen i mean that yeah. that's it's definitely this massive risk that that he took, and I guess it's, it's also like a mystery too. And everybody was having fun figuring it out. Like, is did he do mm. it? Did he didn't? Did he not do it? But I've just wondered, like, you know, it made ESPN it just this massive, massive story over a few weeks, and just trying to break down the psychology of like, why is this so compelling to everybody mm. that some random dude cheated people out of like three hundred k. But it is. I find myself watching the streams. I find, and I don't watch, I don't consume tons of like YouTube poker content, but I found myself even reading and looking at it and sort of analyzing and thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, we, we also live in the age of, uh, you know, serial podcast and making a murderer. And, uh, you know, the, it's remarkable what crowdsourcing a problem can do. I mean, this is the positive side of the whole story. And that is, I mean, if you were thinking about cheating uh, at poker these days and you have seen what the poker community can collectively do, I mean, historically, the poker community have been quite bad at policing cheaters. But if you, you know, if you look at how just at some point genius the poker community collectively was in this particular story. Why do you think think they've been bad? I think we have a tendency in poker to um, uh, forget that, no, Forget but not forgive. Yeah, like I mean, if you like, you know, things like Russ Hamilton still played poker in uh, in full view. Um, Does the, he? Uh, uh, only uh, I think more like uh, in the kind of Florida car rooms. But yes, he's been seen playing poker. Chris Ferguson and, and uh, Howard Leder, um, you know, apparently persona non grata in the poker community, but they still play poker. The guy that cheated at the Partouche Poker Tour was playing in world poker tour events uh, after he'd been uncovered. You know, there is this kind of, um, we haven't, 
done quite enough to drive those people out of the game always. Uh, and then, you know, there's lots of stories of people who are suspected of having cheated, who, you know, still play the game. And then you find out later on that they, um, uh, you know, that, that they might have cheated. I, I just think we, um, we haven't quite shunned them as much as we could have done in the past. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're sitting there wondering to yourself, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table for my family which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I have tried almost all of the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, have come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find success against seemingly weak competition and, in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What on earth was going on, right? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized, devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the vice president of worldwide operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed to be on a level playing field to return to my crushing ways. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play online poker somewhere. And I want to be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer for me. I love you, I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code to play and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your invite code. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. How do you feel about Chris Ferguson and Howard Letter compared to Russ Hamilton? Because, you know, we just put them all yeah. in one basket. It's a, it's a tricky one. It's, it's, it's without, what Russ, what Russ Hamilton did is without doubt worse. I mean, there is a, you could make a case for mismanagement with, uh, with Chris and Howard. And then the the interesting thing, and the interesting thing is, can you differentiate between Chris and Howard? Uh, there's a lot of people in the poker community who think that perhaps Chris wasn't really involved in the key management decisions that led to uh, the, the the mess that we saw with Full Tilt. I am not close enough to, you know, I I, I, 
I am not close enough to the story to make my own decision on that particularly. Um, but yeah, because uh, I think it's because we they didn't legit like directly overtly cheat that um, they are still kind of allowed to play poker. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think we need to be able to forgive. I don't know if we can forgive that so readily because it affected so many people. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 I mean, uh, if, you, if you listen to Chris Ferguson's sort of apology uh, from the World Series, I think, was it this year or last year? It was, it definitely seemed like he thinks that he didn't have any direct involvement in what happened uh, at full tilt. And maybe he didn't, but he kind of needs to sort of speak out and say what he was involved with and what he wasn't, if that's the case. Maybe he can't. Probably, yeah. Yeah, probably. Maybe but, he just, but, he but just can't I mean, I mean, by all, you know, if you're to ask Howard, I think he's, I think he spoke out about just about everything. I don't think he's particularly shackled from sort of saying anything. He, he's been quite um, as 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 upfront as he can be, and uh, I don't see what would be holding Chris back. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I I almost kind of feel sorry for Chris because I think he genuinely believes that he wasn't involved in in this particular story, and there's a chance that he might not be. I feel sorry for Chris Ferguson as well in the sense that poker was his life and Mm. the community. And I think that he valued playing poker, uh, tournament poker in front of people and interacting with people likely more than he valued the money that he was making Mm. from full tilt. And to be ostracized from that community has got to be extremely painful Russ Hamilton, I feel, is just straight up piece of shit. Yeah, that's my <laughs> that's my my blunt take on Russ Hamilton. Howard Letter, I'm not sure. I don't have enough information, uh, but again, I, maybe I don't have enough information on Chris Ferguson as well. And you know, you can say that negligence, like even if it was negligence, like they did hire the person who was running the show, they did make the hire, um, lack of oversight. There, there was a systematic failure there. And when you look at systematic failures, you go to the top, the people mm-hmm. who were in charge of creating those systems in the first place. So whether or not he was like directly responsible, they still have responsibility for yeah. how things turned out. Um, there's really no excuse to be dipping into the player's money to do all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much where I, I am on it. Yeah, I, I agree. What's something that you feel, folks, and you've interviewed pretty much a who's who of people and just talked to tons of people in the poker community who are chasing their poker dreams? What's something you feel they don't spend enough time thinking about? I guess uh, I guess a plan B. Like you and I were talking prior to this this interview about like you know so at some point there there comes like an existential dread uh you know so people that have just been playing poker for so long um realize that it's the only thing that they've done i've always found that the happiest people in poker are the people that play poker study hard do it at a high level but also have something else going on in their lives whether that's a Twitch channel or charity work or a second business or a side business or an app, you know, there's, you know, loads of people in poker that made apps now or a podcast or, 
you know, just just something else that gives them a little bit of, of meaning. So I think the people that stand the test of time have something going on, possibly related to poker, that isn't just poker. And it, 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 I think that, I, I just kind of think that if the only thing that you do is poker, um, I kind of think that potentially avoid my form. And if the audience listening right now could do one thing, one of those projects, what, which one do you think would be the lowest hanging fruit, easiest barrier to entry and bring about fulfillment? Uh, well, I don't know about fulfill, fulfillment, but I guess the easiest thing that a poker player could do and instantly be, you know, doing something else is if they started streaming Twitch. Um, I mean, that's, that's not for me personally. I, I, I tried doing something similar on a, on a, I was being interviewed on a Twitch stream while I was playing and I, I could not keep up the conversation and follow what's going on at the table. But, you know, that's an instant thing you could, that's an instant thing you could do. You know, you suddenly a Twitch channel and, you know, with Twitch, you, you kind of learn, you, you will see the metrics, you know, you will learn about, you know, how many, how long people are staying on the page for and things like that. You will learn something. Likewise, you know, start a blog, you know, write, you know, you, that's, that's a good way to learn things or, uh, get your word out or communicate with people. There's a lot of low barrier to entry things you could do now. I think a YouTube channel probably fits there. It might be quite, it might be difficult if you want to do something other than just like a webcam based sort of video. But yeah, I mean, I mean, look at say Doug Polk or Lex Belthouse, you know, there's two absolute crushes of the game and they have, you know, dominated their, their platform as well. So yeah, just, just something else. A side effect too is going through the process. You get some marketing skills, you get some video editing, mm. some audio editing skills. You have to learn different skills that can possibly be of value in the future, um, mm. in in some capacity. What do you think yeah. people spend too much time thinking about? I don't know. I guess. I mean, I guess. I guess the stock hands today would be results, just just in general in poker. Uh, I mean, that's a long. Uh, we, we obviously talk about that in the mental game of poker. The, the, you know, the really, 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 really good players don't think about results. I mean, I, I that much. I interviewed Dominic Nietzsche when he won, um, he won a World Series Europe Super High Roller Tournament, and I interviewed him and, you know, asked him some questions to the effect of like, "Oh, so he's the greatest player of all time, yeah." And then he kind of just very solemnly said to me, "No, this was all luck. This was, uh, you know, everyone, everyone in the tournament was as good as me. I'm just incredibly lucky. I'm quite happy with how I played. I made mistakes, you know." He, he, he I think, he, at the very, very top level, he really disassociated himself from the result. Uh, but most people. Probably all of us, mere mortals, are, are guilty of otherwise. You know, just thinking about the uh, oh, time I could have won that or something or other. I mean, it's just a—I think it's a feature of poker, really, that you're going to inevitably be quite results orientated, more so than you should be. That's human nature. It's—it's yeah. it's just human nature, I think, to be results oriented. And I've always waited for that moment on you know the post tournament victory interview where somebody just says you know i just played like shit and got super lucky <laughs> like this to me is like yeah like this is an honest answer right like i didn't play great but like i just ran really good when it mattered and so now i'm the champ um instead of like this yeah. is the best poker i've ever played in my whole life i'm at the top of my game i've never made better decisions than this ever like give me a break 
because that is absolutely not the case. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to, to, to throw it the other way, like I have seen a few in, a few interviews before where it's been like someone is chip leader after level six on day one, and they do the interview like they've just won an Oscar. You know, like <laughs> no, seriously, there was a um, there was a player. Uh, it was called Wayne Bentley, and I think it was the PCA one year about ten years ago, and he was it, it, that was literally the case. I think he was day one chip leader. And he was just—he was saying, "Yeah, the cream always rises to the top." And you know, I just want to thank my wife who's at home. <laughs> I didn't give him cash, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> he didn't even I cash. Think, uh, I think that's probably kind of what, one of the um, uh, side effects of the kind of so, social media, Instagram, reality TV world that suddenly, like, everyone's just looking for an opportunity to uh, have their fifteen minutes of fame wherever they can find it. I would imagine that dude's going to have a lot of high highs and a lot of low lows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, roller coaster ride of emotions. Um, mm. Here's here's a softball for you. If you could gift all poker players one book, what would it be and why? And actually, I, I think you're, you're going to be too humble to. No, I'm not going to say one of my own. I'll I'll, I'll uh, look at my bookshelf. I mean, it's. It's a really standard answer, but there's a book called Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Harari. And I don't think it's the best book I've ever read, but if you, if you can put that book down after the second page, then books aren't for you. It is the, oh, wow. the most, it's the most highlighted book I've, I've ever read. Like every single page had something fascinating on it. Why is this a standard answer? Because I have never, oh, even, because I've never even heard of it. Oh, because it's a highly recommended book. Is it? It's a high, yeah, yeah. The last, I'd say it's probably, if, you, if somebody asked the question you just asked, in the last three years, I would say it's probably the most standard answer people give. It's, it's very popular, and it's only a few years old. So I, um, I, I suspect a lot of people will answer that. But yeah, it's just a fascinating book. Well, you're the only one so far, sir. So, okay, well. <laughs> and that's that's quite a testimonial too, by the way. I, I do want to check it out as soon as we we get off the horn here because I'm looking for always looking for more nonfiction books to read. It's brilliant. It's basically the premise of the book is it's um, he, he literally talks about the the future, the, the history of mankind from when we were Neanderthals to you know how we developed political systems and everything in between. It's it's it's, it's no. Uh, exaggeration to say it's a brief history of everything. I know that I think that I think that is a book that that, that sentence, but yeah, it really is. Just covers absolutely everything. And I know Tim Urban's doing a, a series right now on society as well. That is sort of the ground up um, human beings and tribes and how we developed into these giant cities and all of this stuff. Uh, mm. But yeah, that it, definitely worth checking out. What's, what's something people, listeners of the show, would be surprised to learn that you're horrible at? <laughs> Poker. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, actually that very, I'm not actually a particularly good poker player. I am, I'm, I'm really, really good at satellites. One of the reasons why I um, co-wrote a book on them, but the main reason I'm good at them is because the guy I co-wrote it with is uh, an excellent mentor, but no, I'm actually not a great poker player. I'm, Why? I'm, I, I'm, 
I, I, I was quite good. And then when I worked with Jared, I, I was quite good relative to the field until about 2009. And then the game passed me by a little bit. Uh, and the main reason was I started working with Jared Tendler and two things happened. One of them was I got a glimpse into some of the high-stakes players that he coaches and the, the, the work that they put in, and I was incredibly intimidated. I was like, wow, that is an obscene amount of um, cognitive power that, that is going in. It was, it was very off-putting. And at the same time, I, I just really liked the process of writing the book with Jared and learning about the market and stuff. So I, I, my natural interest went in that direction instead. It's only been this last year um, since I've been working with Dara Khan, who was a professional poker player, that my own game has improved um, probably for the first time in sort of four or five years. And I'm, I've only just, my game has only just started to improve. I'm, I'm still, I think I'm, I, Dara's got me to down to, I'd say, a small loser in tournaments now, whereas as opposed to a quite a big loser. Uh, I'm a winning player in satellites. I'm, I consider myself to be very good at satellites. But yeah, I'm just, I mean, I, I quite, I've quite enjoyed um, being kind of a, an outsider pundit of the game for the last sort of 10 years rather than a, than a great player. What would you suggest to people whose game might feel stagnant? Maybe they have had things come up in their life and they feel like the game has passed them by. What do you, if you could go back in time, what would you have done to... Oh, I, 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 I know the answer to so this. I'd definitely just get a better player to just just coach me and just just absolutely brutalize sort of hand histories and just point out everything that you did wrong. I mean, I've always found that to be the most effective way to learn. Like, I I've had come five minute conversations with with Dara that have been more beneficial to me than a book, like a whole book that I've read on poker. You know, it's 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 just. You can go a long time thinking you're doing everything right until a superior player points out that you are not. And I think that's the most effective way to learn, as long as you're willing to accept the feedback, of course. Yeah, you got to be coachable. There Mm. are multiple types of students, and some students are the types who will defend their position to the the death without accepting feedback, and those guys are just not coachable. And then they wonder why they don't have success. And it's because Mm -hmm. they just can't get out of their own way. But occasionally it's happened a few times in my career where I'll meet, I'll be speaking with like the top, just, you know, what, like one guy specifically, Kyle, he, in one year he was winning like 5 million in cash games, according to high stakes DB in the first six Mm -hmm. months of the year. And just having a conversation with him, for i don't know 30 minutes or an hour was like holy shit i mm-hmm. know way less than i thought i knew about yeah. this game and just like the very how the best teachers can simplify things in a way mm-hmm. that like one sentence carries a lot of weight and, and makes you go wow like that is that is just incredible i, I have ran and you know, poker is what I do, so that's a very humbling thing <laughs> to, to know that these mm-hmm. these freaks of nature are out there that are just so head and shoulders above everybody else in their thought processes and their thinking. But mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Find a coach, find somebody that's blazed a trail, that's done what you're trying to do, and mm-hmm. follow their process. 
and be coachable, um, be a good student. And, uh, just that, that to me, I always say money is one of the best ways to improve at poker, invest in somebody's course, invest in just somebody, Mm -hmm. because when you invest money in somebody, they are, they, they're emotionally invested in your success as well. Yeah. Yeah. And also there's there's a, no joke, there's a psychological impact of investing your own money in into something if, if someone gave you you know if someone gave you an upswing poker course for free pirated or something like that you, you wouldn't take it seriously because it was free but if you actually spent your own hard-earned money you're like right i better make this work because this has just cost me x amount of money yeah the psychological effect of value and ramit say mm. who has nothing to do with poker but he yeah, he's a huge fan of that guy yeah yeah, he, he's an awesome dude, and he tells stories about when he was first launching courses. He would give them to his friends, and then he would check the metrics to see if his friends were taking the courses, and none of them took the courses. So he just um, mm. stopped giving them away because mm. if you don't pay for it, you don't value it in the way that you should. Yeah, yeah. What What's your current big goal as related to poker? I have been uh, – when Jared and I worked on the two books together um, – he was, uh, I was 50 50 on the work that we did in terms of time. And I was the marketing guy and he was the publisher. He, he was, he was in charge of the, the print, the print stuff, the publishing stuff, getting the translation sorted and stuff like that. I have been the publisher on the most recent book that I've done with Dara Carney. And I really enjoyed that. I, um, I, I mean, it was self-published, but I was the, the publisher. And that uh, that was more enjoyable than even writing, well, no, writing the book was the best bit. But I, the, 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 that was particularly, uh, I think I have an affinity for it. So I kind of want to publish a lot of books now. I, I, I you know, I'm a big, I, I'm a big Amazon fan. I'm a big Jeff Bezos fan. I think, the, I think we live in the self-publishing age. It's incredibly exciting. Uh, if someone's, Thinking of writing a poker book, I would implore them to self-publish it rather than uh, try and find someone uh, to publish it for them. So my goal at the moment is to have published maybe you know, three or four more um, best-selling poker books uh, with a partner um, in, in the way that I have done before and, and, and really kind of be known uh, for putting out great poker books, even though I'm just one guy rather than a, than a publisher. So, yeah, I'm really. If, I mean, if you if you want, if people are interested in that sort of thing, if they go to my blog pokermediapro.com. I've been writing a lot about self publishing and and, and and things you can do there. So that really, it's it's a vague goal. I just want to put more books out at the moment. I really enjoy that side of things. And I love self publishing. Um, you, you can also, if you want to immerse yourself, there's Facebook groups. Uh, one of them that I'm a part of is 20 books to 50 K that talks about oh, yeah, the process. I know those guys. Yeah. We, we must be in the same groups. Probably. I know those guys. <laughs> Probably. Uh, that's, um, I was listening to a podcast with the, the, the guy from uh, 20 books to 50 K yesterday. And I mean, that really, people who listen, you won't have a clue what we're talking about now, but the, that, that particularly suit that, that really appeals to me. Like, cause I, I'm, I'm quick, I'm productive. So I, I like the idea of, uh, getting 20 books out there and having each one of them sort of make seven dollars a day and there you yeah, go you've got, that, got that's, a, life. that's the that's the premise right right 
create 20 books, self-publish them, and average 50K a year in passive income. Basically, yeah. you know, get you out of the rat race, financial freedom, all of these yeah. types of things. What's a project you're working on at the moment that's near and dear to your heart? I can't say because uh, <laughs> Dara Carney and I are working on a second book and it we i we kind of think that if we say what the book is someone else might quickly go ah we i know i'm normally not precious about these things but we i think we've got the chance to be the first to market with a particular type of book and i'm scared to say it uh say what it is but yeah, it's that, and it's similar to my previous answer. I'll tell you off uh, offline, but um, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, ha- you do saying. have my interest peaked, by the way. So I will ask, and I won't tell anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to write the thing myself, and there we go. <laughs> <I'm gonna> <laughs> Podcast just paid for itself, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you kind of answered this previously, but you know, fast forwarding 15 years into the future. What will your wall of poker accomplishments or accomplishments in the poker field look like? Well, it's not going to include a World Series bracelet or an EPT title anytime soon. That's that's pretty certain. You might win a satellite and get in there, though. All you you got to do is run good for one tournament. That's right. Yeah, um, that's uh, that's kind of – actually, in terms of poker, I've always wanted to win a live event, Um, not like your local – 10 pound night at the casino. I mean, an actual live event. And I am playing more satellites these days. So in terms of poker, I would, I would like to win a modest tournament that has a trophy at the end of it. What's the goal? Um, What's like the minimum value of first place that fits the criteria? Oh, it has to be four figures. It has to be, it has, it has to have a Hendon mob listing and a photograph. <laughs> taken. and then beyond that i don't care and yeah, it can't be taken by somebody in your party them. and uploaded to no no it has to be taken on purpose and they were going to take the picture anyway yeah so in terms of actual playing a poker that's literally it if i if i can occasionally win some money at poker and not lose a great deal i'll be able to move uh, in terms of 15 years i would like to have a lot of books out or if i've gravitated towards something other than books um a lot of products but yeah just i just I want to. I've really enjoyed putting products out there that people have uh, found helpful. I would like more books on the shelf that I've written. Yeah, if I can do one a year or something like that while I'm doing my regular job, uh, I'll be able to move. Well, you are, uh, you know, a huge value add to the poker community as a whole. I'm sure that. Everybody's very, very grateful for the things that you have created um, and been a part of creating. I, I want to thank you for you know myself, for the audience. And um, final question is, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, um, I, I'm probably most active on Twitter, um, but it's almost exclusively childish jokes. <laughs> hey, spamming you're speaking to a poker jokes. audience, right? Like this is this is spamming, in their wheelhouse. Yeah, childish jokes for spamming my book, but it's uh, it's Barry underscore Carter at Twitter. Um, if you're actually interested in the um, uh, you know the, the work that I do, then I have a blog about the media, the poker industry called PokerMediaPro.com, 
Uh, and then if you want to actually see what I do as a regular day job, I'm the editor of PokerStrategy.com, which is, um, I still, I think still is the world's largest poker community. Uh, not largest English speaking one, but you know, in, in multiple languages. Awesome, man. Awesome. And everybody, if you want to check those things out, they'll all be in the links and the show notes for this episode. My man, thank you very much for coming on and just having a great conversation. And when this unknown project that is top secret <laughs> mystery right now, when it gets released, come back on, we'll have another conversation and we'll, we'll be able to reveal what it is at that point. Yes, we will. It'll be the thing that you wrote three months previously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be you inviting me on your podcast to berate me about stealing your idea. It'll be, it's, it'll be a good time for all. Well, thank you. No, I'm enjoying this. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.